Welcome to Christchurch Chislehurst Podcasts. Here is a sermon given by Dave just shortly after coming back from Tanzania. He's talking about being a disciple and giving Jesus 100%. from Luke's Gospel. It's going to go up on the screen. Luke chapter 14, uh, starting at verse 25. If you've got a Bible there, then it's... Oh, I've got my glasses on now. Page one, 1048 in the, the Bibles. And what uh, we're going to start doing is putting the Bibles in the, in the pocket, make use of those pockets there, which normally just get sweet wrappers and um, notice sheets le- from last Christmas left in them. But we're going to put the Bibles in there uh, from now on, if I remember to do it before next week, so that you all have an opportunity to look at your Bibles. We've been, we've been uh, worshipping in so many different churches over the last three months. I think it was about 19, I think we worked out, 19 different places, um, not just abroad, but in this country as well. And I think one or two of the places we thought it was really significant. They said, right, everyone get your Bibles out. Let's, let's find out where this passage is. Because um, it's lovely having it up on the screens with all our modern technology but it's another thing to actually say, right, now find out where that is. Look at, look at the context of the passage. See what's come up before, what Jesus was talking about before this, or see what's coming next. It just gives you a completely different view of it. So if you do have a Bible there, it's Luke 14, it's page 1048. And we're talking about the cost of being a disciple, starting from verse 25. Large crowds were travelling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost? to see if he has enough money to complete it. For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and is not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off, and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet. It brings light into our darkness. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we pray, Lord, that through your word this morning, your light would shine in and both encourage us and challenge us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now, um, most of you probably know that the two big trips that we made over the last three months were, first of all, uh, we went to Israel in June, and that was a study tour with uh, the diocese. And then we went to Tanzania for nearly three weeks, and that was July over into August. Two quite different trips, but both of them 
I realised I had, I had not been out of Western society before because uh, our, our first night in Jerusalem, just walking down the streets of Jerusalem, I was just, my senses were just bombarded with all the different sights and sounds and smells. And I thought, I suddenly realised, I thought, I'm in the Middle East. I've never been, you know, outside of Europe or I've been to, the, we went to the States once years and years ago, but this is the first time I've been out of Western culture. So it was quite a, an eye-opener for me. And Kath had been to Israel before, but, you know, that was a, that was a, a tremendous journey. And then Tanzania and Africa, um, that was a different experience as well. And uh, every village that we went to with, with the bishop, he would introduce us and we'd say, well, this is not just our first time in Tanzania. And they'd all go, mm, but it's our first time in Africa. And they'd go, wow. And then we'd always tell them a bit about ourselves and we'd say, uh, you know, say I'm a teacher, and then we've got three boys. And then the first time, Kath said, and we've got a dog and a cat. And they just fell about laughing for about five minutes because they don't have dogs and cats as pets in Tanzania. So we thought we'd tell this one every time, so just to make them laugh. So every single time we, we just said we've got a dog and a cat, they just fell about laughing and they thought it was hilarious because they have, do have dogs and cats, but they're not, not as pets. Um, so that was just quite funny. Um, if we could have the first slide up on the screen. We've got one or two pictures to show this morning, um, but the bulk of them, if you come on the 21st of September, we've got a lot more uh, for you to look at and to explain about. Now, so this is, um, anyone not like to guess where this might be? Bearing in mind we went to Israel and Tanzania. Sea of Galilee, I hear somebody say, yes, correct. So the first hotel we were in was in Jerusalem, we were there for four nights. Second hotel, three nights. And this is the view from our bedroom window. So, you know, we <laughs> so lucky, it was just amazing. So 5.30 in the morning, we were told, get up and you can catch the sunrise. All the all our rooms, everyone's room, overlooked the Sea of Galilee. So if you get up early enough, so I took a few pictures of the, the sunrise on the Sea of Galilee. Just extraordinary, just one of those moments you think, I've really got to take this in, that I'm taking a picture of the sunrise and I'm here on the Sea of Galilee. Extraordinary. So I could have the second picture up. Okay, that's not the Sea of Galilee. That's Kath in... Uh, I can't even remember which village this is, but we did visit 11 different parishes while we were there. Um, but this is one of the remote villages where, um, in many cases, the, particularly the younger children had never seen a white face before. And so they just chased Kath around the village, you know, every everywhere we went, they just chased her around and touching her hair. And I, I had a, quite a big job to say, turn around and look at the camera. I want to take a picture of you, because they were just staring at Kath. Um, but she managed to get them to turn around. We did that on several occasions. Um, and in the back right-hand corner there, you can see one of their loos. <laughs> so uh, we got used to the, the Tanzanian toilets um, after a while. Um, but it was just a, an amazing adventure. Um, there were times when you thought you'd come across something familiar, only to discover it was something slightly different. So we could have the third slide up. And I thought, oh, cup of coffee, Starbucks. Oh, no, it's not Starbucks. It's Stars and Bucks Cafe. I thought it was brilliant. That was in Bethlehem, actually. Um, we didn't have time to stop there and see if the coffee tasted as good as it does in Starbucks. But, um, yeah, there were some unusual things that we saw from time to time as well. Um, but there were moments... If you could have the next slide up, please. Um, the moments when it, you just, it was just extraordinary. Um, I mean, Israel was very, very busy, particularly in Jerusalem. And 
inevitably most of the places that we went to were, were tourist destinations because we're seeing all the famous parts. But this was one of those moments when we had about 20 minutes when there was nobody else around, just, just our group, about 20 of us, and we had the whole of this section of the, of the beach on the Sea of Galilee just to reflect about the fact that this is where Jesus was, you know. Um, it just brings the gospel to life. If you ever get the opportunity to go to Israel and just to walk along the Sea of Galilee, uh, along, well, walk on the water, that would be good, wouldn't it? To walk on the beach on the Sea of Galilee um, and uh, just take in the fact, and I was just imagining Jesus talking, having a chat with Peter or they're cooking breakfast on the beach. saying, this is extraordinary. It just kind of brings it all to life. And um, one of the boat trips that we, we took a boat trip on the Sea of Galilee and uh, it was a beautiful, calm, sunny day. And then at one point, somebody could see some smoke in the distance in, across the hills. And we turned to our guide and said, what's going on there? And he said, that's Syria. You can, you can see the, the conflict going on in Syria from here. And it reminded you, you know, that the Middle East is, not, is, is still quite a volatile place, um, and that, as it was in Jesus' time. So, amazing things. But there's more photographs that we're going to show on the 21st. The trip to Israel was really quite safe and easy in the sense that it was a study tour. We travelled by coach everywhere. The guide took us to safe places that he knew were going to be safe for us to go to. Um, two very nice hotels. So in that sense, although it was quite tiring, um, it was all very safe and easy. Tanzania was quite different. We sort of knew where we might be staying because the guy was organising the itinerary over here did his very best and he worked really hard to say look I think you'll probably be staying here most of the time but you'll find out when you get there um, and um, I'm not quite sure where you'll be eating your food but you'll find out when you get there um, so for 10 days of our trip we didn't really know what we, what we, where we were going to be staying or what we were going to be doing we just knew that we'd, at some point we'd meet the bishop and he might have things for us to do but in the end uh, we visited villages all across the diocese, north, south, east and west, in very remote and primitive parts of the diocese where, as I say, there was a lot of drought um, and conditions were quite, quite poor. And sometimes we, were, we, we would finish doing services and it would be getting pretty dark and there's not a lot of electricity out in these remote villages. And you're thinking, is the driver going to be able to find his way back? And we were sort of driving back through this forest and the bishop was saying, I think we have to go this way. And the driver was going, no, 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 I'm sure it's this way. And you're thinking, oh dear, okay. I hope at some point we get back. We had food and water, so. Um, and we'd sometimes play a game of um, guess what's in the pot, you know. So after, after we'd had a service and they'd bring some food out and they'd bring a great big pot and you think, I wonder what's going to be in there today. So we had a few little games of guessing what was going to be in the pot, one or two challenges. And I think, it, you know, in, in many ways our trip to Tanzania was probably the hardest trip we've ever taken in our lives, but it was the most rewarding and the most uplifting experience. It was just incredible. The welcome that we received, the hospitality, the joy, the music, I've got so much to say about the music and the harmonies and everything in these remote villages. It's just, just extraordinary. Um, and on the way to Heathrow Airport to board our flight there, I was reflecting on the visas and the malaria tablets and the yellow fever vaccinations and the Imodium tablets and insect repellent and the vagueness of where we might be staying and what we were going to eat. And I was thinking, why didn't we just book two weeks in Corfu? It would have been so much easier, you know. But actually, the, 
the, relatively speaking, the small sacrifices that we made to go there to experience the richness of those people. Uh, you know, we, we went there having nothing to give, really, other than just us, but they, they gave us so much back. Our lives were richer as a result of it. The welcome that we had, the worship, the, just that experience of hospitality. Um, and I want to kind of use that as a, as a kind of a backdrop for what I think Jesus is, something of what Jesus is trying to say in this passage. Um, because if we look at this gospel passage this morning, we think about what Jesus is asking his followers to do. You see, in, in all of our lives, there are experiences and there are relationships which at times can be unbelievably costly and demanding in our relationships, whether that's with, with friends or family, in marriages, with our children. It can be very, very costly and demanding. But it, often if we're willing to persevere, these things can become the most important, the most valuable things in our lives. The thing is, with that, that's very countercultural, and the way Jesus is talking in this passage is incredibly countercultural because our culture just says, throw it away and get a new one. And that's, part of, that's built into a consumer mentality, isn't it? Because actually, our culture says, if it's not working out, just forget it, just try something else. You know, we do that with everything. Uh, you know, m my dad used to fix everything. And, no, no, don't worry, I'll fix it. Don't worry about buying a new one, I'll fix it. There's probably some of you like that. But we're tempted now just to say, oh, that's not working. Throw it away and get another one. And we do that with all sorts of things in our lives. We do that with relationships. So we've become a throwaway society. And Jesus is talking about something very countercultural to what we're experiencing now. Relationships that matter to us with a spouse with a best friend or our children can really cost us. But in order for them to be worthwhile and meaningful, we will persevere with them. And in this passage from Luke 14, we can see that Jesus is now some way into his ministry. We know that partly because it's chapter 14 in Luke, it's not chapter 1. Jesus has already done a lot of teaching and preaching and healing and there's been miracles. And a large crowd are following him round. What are they after? Jesus knows what's going on. Jesus, I'm sure, has worked out what many people in the large crowd that are following him around are thinking, what they're chatting about, what they're hoping for. Maybe he's heard them say things like, do you know, I've heard that he can heal people, he can heal lepers. Well, I heard that he, he walked across some water. I heard that he calmed a storm. I heard that he, there was a paralyzed man and he was able to make him better. I wonder what he's going to do today. Never mind walking on water. I've got a jug of water here and I want him to turn it into a nice bottle of wine. You know, there could be all sorts of reasons why people are following Jesus around to see what he's going to do next. And that's all right, isn't it? We probably would have done the same. But at this point, Jesus wants to make one thing clear. His true followers, those who really want to be his disciples, will be marked by something quite different. And of course, if we could have, if we could have up on the screen the next slide, please. I think it's number seven. Might not be. Yeah. Um, now, in Luke's Gospel, in the New International Version, Jesus talks about hating, unless you hate your mother and father, your brother, your sister, 
even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Now, don't forget this has been translated. I don't think Jesus literally means that you need to hate your, the people around you, your family or your friends, because everywhere else in the Gospels he talks about loving your neighbour and that those who are marked out as my disciples will, will love one another. But the message version of the Bible, which is Eugene Peterson, translates it perhaps more helpfully like this. Jesus turned and told them, anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even one's own self, can't be my disciple. Anyone who won't shoulder his own cross and follow behind me cannot be my disciple. That perhaps helps us to understand a little bit more of what Jesus is trying to say. But even so, it's a bit harsh, isn't it? The call to let go of the people that are really close to you, your father, your mother, your husband, your wife, brothers and sisters. Some of you are thinking, this is quite good actually. Others are thinking, no, this is, this is not good. Not a very good advertisement for Christianity, you might say, but Jesus never intended to start a new religion. He was talking about a relationship with God through Jesus. It's not about joining a religion. In fact, Jesus said that a lot of the time, religion just gets in the way. He spent a lot of time talking to religious people saying, you've, you've got it wrong. You're just obeying a set of rules. This is about a relationship with me. And so what Jesus is trying to focus on here is that development of that personal intimate relationship with him has got to be so different to every other relationship that you have that you've got to let go of some of the other people in your life in order for this relationship with me to become the most important one. That's what he's trying to say because he becomes the most important thing in our lives. The Bible often compares that relationship with God and his church between God and his people as like a marriage, the bride of Christ. And that intimacy, that, that exclusivity of a marriage, that faithfulness of a husband and wife in, in a good marriage, that there's that commitment. I remember um, the vicar of a church in Birmingham called Gas Street Church, which incidentally is where James Levy, who used to be a youth minister here at one time, is now working. Tim Hughes, he once, he once confessed that he made a terrible mistake when he was going out with the girl who later on became his wife, and they are now very happily married. Um, but they were talking about getting married, and he said, you know, I'm 99% I'm sure that I want to be with you for the rest of my life. Is that a good thing to say to the person you want to marry? 99% <laughs> sure? So she wasn't very happy about that, and he said it did take her a while to go over it, and then eventually I said, no, I think I can manage 100%, you know, I think I really do, 100%, I want to marry you. And you might think, well, isn't 99% enough when you get married? Can't you just hang on to 1% and say, I'm not quite sure? Of course it's not. When on your wedding day you commit yourself to your husband or wife, it's got to be 100%, hasn't it? You can't just say, well, 85 is quite good, so 15% of me doesn't really want to marry you, but the other 85 does, that's enough, that's a pretty high percentage. No, when you go into a marriage, it's everything. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. Now, God's saying that the relationship between God and his people, us, the church, is exactly the same, except a hundred times, thousand times more. 
It's 100% that he wants from us, like in a marriage. We can't say to Jesus, I'll follow you with the whole of my, well, I'll I'll do 95%. How about that? That's pretty good, isn't it? I just want to keep back 5% for myself. There's a little bit of my life that I don't want to give over to Jesus because I quite like this little bit habit. I quite like this little thing that I, I can be selfish about. Jesus is saying, that's not good enough. It's got to be 100%. And the whole thing about light is really important that Jill mentioned that, that came up in the baptism part of the service. You see, the light shines in and pushes back the dark areas of our lives that we're trying to hide away. We can't hide anything from God. He knows that there's that 1% there that we're holding back on. It's got to be 100%. And become a, becoming a follower of Jesus can have a, a dramatic effect on other priorities and relationships. When we turn to Christ, it makes a difference. If it doesn't, then we're not quite getting it right, are we? It's the same as marriage. If you get married and nothing changes, then there's something not quite right about that, is there? The same when we commit ourselves to Christ. Things will change. It can have a dramatic effect on relationships. And Jesus knew that when he was speaking to those people 2,000 years ago, who wanted to become his followers. He knew that within, within years, many of them would be imprisoned, they'd be, they would be killed, they would be martyred for their faith. That they would die because of the choices that they'd made. And they would be removed from mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and husbands and wives because they had chosen to follow Jesus. And in front of the Roman emperor, Nero or whoever, they would say, no, I, I, I profess to follow in Christ. Okay, well then you go to the lions. Now that's a big commitment, that's a 100% commitment. The same thing happens to many Christians across the world today. When we were in Condoa Diocese, it became clear that it's a predominantly Muslim part of Tanzania. And the church is growing rapidly. Be encouraged, folks, the church is growing. The bishop said, I cannot keep up with the growth. And everywhere we went, there were confirmation services nothing like confirmation services here, just people who, stacks and stacks of people who are saying, I, wa- I want to be a Christian, I want to join the church. And many of them were co- converts from Islam. And so they were making a big choice. And, and I was privileged enough to be able to baptise uh, between 25 and 30 different people who had all turned to Christ in different villages. And for some of them, they were taking on, literally, a new Christian name. So I was baptising Joseph's and Paul's and Peter's, thinking, these are Christian names. And the bishop said, yeah, because they've, they've, turned, they've, they've stopped their old name. They are now literally taking on a new Christian name because they were Muslims before and now they've become Christians. And on the second Sunday that we were there, in the morning, we were in the cathedral and um, the bishop asked two young men to stand up. And I, we knew the story, we'd heard the story about what had happened to them. They'd, they'd become Christians that week. And coming from a Muslim home, they'd gone home to their parents and said, um, we've become Christians. So the dad said, right, well, you're out then. And he, he got all their stuff, literally threw it out onto the street. Said, if you're Christians, you cannot live here anymore. And so the bishop had asked these two men to stand and he, he said, not only have we got to pray for these two but we have got to support them and give them somewhere to live and they were already living with someone from the cathedral congregation that is that is what Jesus is talking about here 
Anyone who comes to me refuses to let go of father and mother. You, we have to be willing to let it all go. And for these two young men, if they'd gone home and their father had said, you can't live here if you're a Christian, if they'd gone, all right then, let's not, let's not bother. But they were so taken up with this Christian faith that they discovered, they said, okay, if, if that's the choice we've got to make, we'll do it. Now that's very different to what we experience here, but we, we have to remember that this is for us as well. This is the choice we make. Jesus wants wholehearted devotion to him because he knows more than anyone what is the best direction for our lives. He knows us better than anyone else. He has died for our sins in order that we may have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Why would we not give him 100% of our lives? And it's God, and by daily putting him first, that we get our lives into the right order. There's something about putting Jesus first that just ma makes everything else get into the right order. Because we were born, we were, every single human being on this planet was, is created to worship. And if we don't worship God, we'll worship something else. We'll worship something that really is not worthy of our worship. And I hear people saying, you know, my, I'm, I'm, it's, in many ways this is, this is right and good. My family are the most important thing in my life. And I hear lots of people say that, and that's good because that's, they're much more important than money or jobs or fancy cars or all the rest of it. But actually, they cannot take the place of God. There is a God-shaped hole in our lives that only Jesus can fill. And I remember there was a wedding here a couple of years ago and somebody else was preaching and they said something absolutely brilliant at the end of the sermon. They turned to the, the husband and wife, the new, new husband and wife, and they turned to the wife and he said, just remember, you can love him and he will, he will be good for you, but he, cannot be, he is not your saviour, Jesus is your saviour. And then he turned to, her, to him and he said, she will be wonderful for you, You'll make a, she'll make a great wife, but she is not your saviour, Jesus is your saviour. And do you know what? Our family is not our saviour. Our husband or wife, our best friend is not our saviour. Jesus is our saviour. Isn't that true? He alone is the one that can put us right with God and give us eternal life and fill us with his spirit and give us an abundant life and nothing else will do. And that's why people are turning from Islam and we, there are other converts from other tribal religions because they've discovered there's something about Jesus that is completely different. You see, every other religion talks about working our way up to God. If you do this, if you keep these rules, this is what Jesus spoke against, against religion. Religion says if you obey these rules and you do these things, you might be good enough to get to God. Christianity turns that on its head. Jesus said, I have come, I have come that you might have life. Jesus died for us so that our sins are forgiven and we can make a fresh start with him every day. We cannot do this on our own. We cannot live a good life without him. He came in order that we might be free and without putting him 100% in our lives, we lose sight of why we're here and why he came for us. That God-shaped hole in our hearts can only be filled by him. As I finish, on 
Pentecost Sunday back in June, we worshipped in St George's Cathedral in Jerusalem. Um, something never forget actually, it's just amazing. The mixture of different languages and cultures um, is as close to the day of Pentecost in the Bible as you're ever going to get. It was just wonderful to be there with so many different people from different countries. Um, but it was at one point I think we realised just who was represented in that congregation that day. Because you see, this wasn't just people from Jerusalem. It, there were people represented from all across the Diocese of Jerusalem, which covers not just Israel, but the Palestinian territories, Jordan, Lebanon and Syria. And so there were people there from countries who have really, really suffered as a result of standing firm in their faith. And I, I, I thought about that and I thought, you know, perhaps five or ten or fifteen years ago there, there would have been Christians there in that cathedral worshipping together as part of that diocese who now have lost their lives because they've been martyred for the faith. Now that is commitment. That is commitment to Christ. And so I was thinking and just praying for the there were the clergy up at the front and lay people from, from Lebanon and Syria and Palestinian territories and people who are risking their lives on a daily basis because they love Jesus. Just extraordinary. And in very stark terms as I think about them and I think about those new converts in Condora, I'm just so deeply challenged by Jesus' words. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. It's 100%, folks. It's, it's everything. It's not 80% or 95 or even 99%. It's everything that we have to give to him. But we can't do it without his Holy Spirit. So why don't we stand together? We're going to sing perhaps one or two more songs, but I think we should just as a result of hearing that, I'm deeply challenged about how I can do this, and I'm sure you are too. We're just going to pray now for the Holy Spirit to come and fill us. So let's stand together. <clears throat> In a moment, we're going to sing a song saying, I will offer up my life in spirit and truth. My words cannot tell, not even in part, of the debt of love that is owed by this thankful heart. You deserve my every breath, for you have paid the great cost, giving up your life to death. Let's just take a moment. You might want to put your hands out in front of you, particularly if you sense this morning, this is so hard, but Jesus is asking for 100%. He's been asking me to be willing to give up everything for him. And if, if we're honest, we know that religion isn't the answer. It's not just a case of trying to do better. That we need to try a bit harder. That, that's not the answer. Religion is not the answer. Jesus promised us before he ascended to heaven that he would send us a helper, a counsellor, one who would fill us with gifts and with power and enable the fruit to grow, and that's the Holy Spirit. 
And so, Holy Spirit, we call upon you this morning to come and fill us afresh. That we may be able to say to Jesus, I want to give you 100%, not just 50 or 70 or even 99, but 100% of our lives to you. Because that's what it takes, that's what he's asking. Holy Spirit, we need your help. Enable us to do that. Let's sing, I will offer up my life.
Thank you, Lord, that your, your cross, the blood of Jesus, the grace that you have for us, the love that you have for us, Lord, just washes away our sin. And I just want to break free, Lord, of any shame or guilt that we may be feeling this morning that prevents us from just coming into your presence, just boldly approaching the throne of grace to receive the mercy that, that you are willing to give us today. Come into your presence with those royal robes that we that none of us deserve. We live to serve your majesty. I'm gonna finish with bless the Lord, O my soul. And then we'll go out for coffee. But if anyone would like prayer for anything, there'll be People over on this side of the church would love to pray with you. That's something you want to celebrate or a job interview or something you're not feeling well or you've got a relative you want to pray for, then please do come and receive some prayer over here at the end.
May the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Let's go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ. Amen.